the report. Absence of social support. Social disconnection. Socially isolated. In short, they are lonely. There is a loneliness epidemic, both in America and in Singapore. And also, if I can add, in the contemporary church as well, it's one of the struggles we face. I mean, my friends, have you ever felt lonely? Have you felt lonely even as we gather as church on Sunday? Have you felt alone and isolated during the other six days as well? I have. And isn't it an irony that we can feel lonely even as we gather as a church? But my friends, loneliness is not just a modern epidemic. We can trace its roots back to the fall. So if you remember your stories from Genesis, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve did not trust in God's goodness. They disobeyed God and tried to set themselves up as God when they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was the result of their sin, if you remember? They ran and hid from God. Their fellowship with God was broken. And you remember what happened next, right? Well, it's, it's not an awesome record for men. Because instead of stepping up and taking responsibility, what did Adam do? Adam blamed Eve. And the relationship between them was broken. So one of the results of the fall, one of the curse of the fall, is that now relationships are broken. And we now know and experience isolation and loneliness. We have been cut off from the joy-giving fellowship with God. And now the once perfect relationship between people is now ruined. So the loneliness epidemic finds its origins in the fall. But it doesn't help, right? Our modern day uh, society, with our cultural habits, uh, just each of us in our rooms, surfing on our smartphones, our modern society and cultural habits have also amplified loneliness such as impact is seen and felt more widely today. So how can we recover our fellowship with God? How can we recover our fellowship with one another as an antidote for our isolation? How do we recover joy, joy in the midst of this broken world that is increasingly lonely? My friends, if these are our questions, I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Because God's word in 1 John chapter, 4, uh, chapter 1, verse, verses 1 to 4, tells us that because we have fellowship with the word of life, therefore we can have fellowship with each other in the church. No, but before we look at uh, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 4, because the pastoral team has given, has given me the privilege and responsibility again to start off this series, let me give us some context and some pointers on how to read 1 John so that we can better understand the passages that are to come as we are looking at them uh, in the next 15 messages. So let's spend some time on the background. 
The Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote the letter of 1 John. He wrote this letter from Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey. He writes to the churches in Ephesus and its surrounding area. And most commentators would place the date of the letter as somewhere as mid-80s to 90s. What this means is this. This will put the writing of the letter at the time where the pioneer generation of believers, some who have personally seen Jesus Christ, they were handling, handling the Christian faith to the next generation of believers. So it was transition between the pioneer generation and the next generation of believers. And what happened was at that time, false teachers had infiltrated the church, had come into the church. And as a result, some people were seduced by these false teachings and they have left the fellowship of the churches. We can actually see this in the letter, in chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. And this is not just mere history, because if you put yourself in the shoes of the believers then, you can imagine the questions that were asked and the heartache that was felt. So the Apostle John wrote this letter, what can be described as a loosely structured sermon, to pastor the believers of these churches facing these challenges. And for those of us who are reading 1 John and attempting to read and understand 1 John, let me give you some tips on how to read it. The way 1 John was written is not strictly linear. It's not like Paul, where you read Romans, where Paul goes A, B, C, therefore D, E, F. What John does is he seems to revisit the topics again and again. The structure appears more like an upward spiral, okay? with John adding more and more to the subject each time he revisits. So what this means for us is this. So when you read 1 John, be patient. Okay? I know John the Apostle can sound a bit lost or long-winded as he repeats topics again and again. But each time he revisits, note what he is adding. Ask the question, what additional information, what additional emphasis is John now adding to this topic? Okay. And another reason, because First John comes from the long-time meditative reflection of the pastor theologian John, who is now in his 80s or 90s, okay? slow down, do not rush the reading of this letter. Reflect on what John is saying. Take the time to think on what is being said. And I assure you, as you read 1 John this way, you will bear much fruit in your life. The central theme of 1 John then is how we can know that we are in Christ. So it tells us what beliefs and attitudes give proof to our claim to be a Christian. From 1 John, professing believers can test themselves to see whether their faith is genuine. So if you're a true believer, you will be assured of your right standing with God. Because John does two things here. He helps us to avoid presuming that we are Christians when we are not. And he helps us to avoid uncertainty when we are indeed Christian. And if we are indeed Christian, 1 John would give us a certainty that we are genuine believers. We would know, as John writes in 1 John 5.13, we would know that we have eternal life. So my friends, come 
prepare to hear from 1 John for the next 15 messages. But also take note that 1 John is actually 5 chapters and only 105 verses. What this means is this. I know we are now moving into a more visual age. It's a challenge to even read. But what it means is this. With 105 verses, it's possible to finish reading 1 John at one go, in one sitting. Right? So my challenge to you, church, is this. I'm not going to ask you to read 15 times over the next 15 weeks. I'm going to give you a discount. I'm going to ask you to attempt to read the letter of 1 John at one go for five times. Okay? Which means this, as you read slowly and reflectively, this works out to only once every three weeks. So it's actually quite doable. So my challenge to the church is, read 1 John five times over the next 15 weeks, once every three weeks, and finish it at one go. Then you can see and appreciate the fullness of, uh, uh, and, and, and the insights in 1 John. Okay. Enough of the background. Now back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to share a story, and as I do so, I hope I don't offend those in our congregation that are philosophy majors, or those who think that they are philosophy majors. I don't quite get all the debates over what is real and the relationship between our minds and reality. You know, if you go and read philosophy, they have this whole many websites, they have many books talking about what is real, and what's the relationship between our minds and reality? Because, I mean, for me, if I'm in a room of a building and I hear the fire alarm goes off, okay, and I smell smoke coming into the room, and as I look out, I see the fire engine coming outside in the driveway, and I see the firemen evacuating people from the building, I'm not going to stand there thinking, hmm, maybe my senses are deceiving me. Maybe this, this fire is just in my mind. And the reality is something else. Let me continue to drink my coffee and read my book. <laughs> I wouldn't do this, right? Rather, I'm going to find a way out of building and quick. Okay? And I'm, if I'm in the corridor, after leaving the room, and I, I see the fire on the far left of the corridor, and the door with a huge green exit sign like that, okay, on my right side, I'm not going to think, hey, maybe the exit door I see on my right, on my right, it's not real. I should rather be heading left. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hurry down the corridor on my right, away from the fire towards the exit door. I'm going to trust that my senses, what I see, what I hear, what I touch, what I smell, will provide me with direct awareness of objects as they really are. That's to say that our senses can be our witness that testify to what is real. And this is what John is telling us in verses 1 to 2. The apostles could testify to the word of life, Jesus Christ, that He was real. He came in the flesh because their physical senses had perceived and beheld Him. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. That was that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest. 
to us. One thing to note about 1 John 1, 1 1-4, the first three verses in the original Greek is one long sentence and the main verb is actually in verse 3. It's proclaim, okay? as in we proclaim. What this means is this, therefore verse 1 and 2 which you just read tells us the content of what was proclaimed by John and the apostolic witnesses. So note with me as we look at verse 1, what did they proclaim? They proclaimed that which was from the beginning. Doesn't this bring echoes of the Gospel of John? John 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Right? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1, 1, in turn, sounds like what? Sounds like Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what John is telling us is this. This word of life I'm talking about was from the beginning. This word of life is eternal. And John then inserts, which we have heard, which we have seen in our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands. What John was saying was that this eternal word of life was made flesh. He was talking about the incarnation of this word of life. And this bring again, brings to mind again the prologue in the Gospel of John. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacle among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of life was Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And John and the rest of apostles heard seen, look upon, and touch the word of life. They were personal eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. This tells us that the word of life came into our time and space some 2,000 years ago to a little strip of land in Palestine in the Middle East. The word of life broke into space and time and became real. Their physical senses beheld Jesus Christ. They were witnesses to who Jesus was and what he taught and said. And the reason John wrote this is he wrote this to correct the false teachers. False teachers who denied that Jesus is the Christ and refused to believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You see this in 1 John chapter 2, 22 and 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. John went on then to say, the life was made manifest. Take note here. John used the word, word of life, life, eternal life here to refer not to a concept or idea but to a person, Jesus Christ. The life that he's referring to refers to the word of life who was, reve- who was revealed to the apostles and they testified and proclaimed what they saw to the church. This eternal life, Jesus Christ, who was with the Father, was made manifest to us. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, who was with God, came in the flesh and was revealed by God to the apostles and and to us. And John stated very plainly the fact of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So what John was essentially saying is this. 
the very life itself with which the message we are talking about is concerned. The eternal life who was eternally with the Father appeared to us and we saw it. And so we testify to it. Our proclamation is testimony. John tells us that Jesus Christ is the word of life, who is our source of life together. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. You know, I have friends who tell me, I'm sure you have also have friends who have told you this as well. You know, Oli, if you want me to believe in God, then show me God. But God has already shown himself to us in the historical person of Jesus Christ. My friends, our faith is testimony based on apostolic witness of the word of life. Our message is an evidence or proof that was written down and handed down to the church by the apostles who witnessed Jesus Christ. Then what are we to do? Then we are to trust the message. Because it is based on historical eyewitness account. We are to guard the message. It is evidence and proof of the word of life, which is the source of all life. Testimony received is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to pass the message faithfully without adjusting or tempering the message. We are to be stewards of the message of the word of life. We should not adjust the message. And we are to proclaim this message to others via missions or evangelism. Because our message is the gospel. The gospel that tells us of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who not only came in the flesh, but Jesus Christ who came to cleanse us from all sins. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is our advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to the Father and restores our relationship with the Father so that we no longer will be lonely. Apostle John then goes on and tells us what he does with the message, this message of the gospel in verses 3 to 4. First John chapter 3, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Jesus Christ, the word of life, which the apostles bore witness and testified to. This is whom John and his co-workers proclaimed to the church. Like Paul and his missionary team, they proclaimed the same message. They proclaimed Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. What they proclaimed was the gospel of Jesus Christ to the believers in the church. But what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? What does it mean to proclaim the gospel? It means to share the good news, to testify to the gospel, to preach, to teach, to instruct the gospel, or to simply just share your personal testimony of the gospel's impact on your life. 
And in proclaiming the gospel, John's desire is that we receive eternal life. Because John writes this in his gospel, in the gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And my friends, what was the goal of John's proclamation? Look with me to the second half of verse 3. What does it say? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the immediate goal for John's proclamation of Jesus Christ is what? That in so trusting the Gospel, believers too will have fellowship with John and his co-workers. They will be brought into his fellowship. And because John and his fellow apostles have a fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, what this means by implication is this, that believers will also be brought into a relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We see here that fellowship or koinonia, as John described, this is on the basis of common belief in Christ. It is the true gospel message to produce a true fellowship. And what does this fellowship look like? It is a close association involving mutual interest of the gospel and sharing of Jesus Christ. It is an association, a communion, a fellowship or close relationship that is based on and rooted in the gospel. What John is saying is not what we Baptists are known for. He's not saying that we have fellowship potluck. Right? Baptists, every time we go, is fellowship potluck. Or, or, or we have fellowship events. That's why you realize most Baptist pastors are of a certain shape. Right? What John is saying is this we build our fellowship by proclaiming the word of life to one another. I mean, fellowship potlucks and fellowship events are okay, but they are only helpful when they actually build, uh, helpful in building fellowship, when they serve as a platform for us to proclaim the gospel to one another. So the immediate effect of the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, fellowship with one another in the church and fellowship with God. I mean, my friends, this is amazing. What this means is that we will have fellowship with the eternal word of life. Finally, John goes on and tells us his ultimate goal of his proclamation of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. So John's ultimate goal in proclaiming Jesus Christ and writing the first of the letter of 1 John is made explicitly clear here. What is it? Come on, everybody. You can have some interaction during sermons. It's okay. So what is, what is his goal? It is joy. Joy. Right? He proclaims Jesus Christ so that he will experience joy when others come to know Jesus Christ and experience a personal relationship with God and fellowship with the church. He proclaims Jesus Christ so that the church will come to a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and experience the joy of a personal relationship with God. 
and a deep life-giving fellowship with one another in church. So John's ultimate goal for us is joy, which comes as a result of proclaiming Jesus Christ. And what's the secret of this fullness of joy? Quoting from um, um, Kelvin, actually. What is the, the secret of the fullness of joy? The complete, perfect sweetness which we obtain the gospel. John tells us, is the fellowship which the proclamation creates. For if the immediate purpose of the proclamation is the establishment of fellowship, the ultimate purpose is the completion of joy. This then is the divine gospel order of the divine order, gospel message, fellowship in the gospel, then joy. So my friends, what is your joy? Is it people coming to know the gospel? Is it the church deepening in gospel fellowship? My friends, we cannot contend with an evangelism that doesn't lead to the drawing of converts into the church. Nor can we be content with a church life whose principle of cohesion and unity is a superficial social interaction instead of a spiritual fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, based and rooted in the Gospel. Okay, this is where the practical ones among us may ask. Because I asked this to my, one of my CGs uh, on Friday. So what does it mean to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ to one another? Only you've been telling us from the Bible and telling us theology. What does it actually mean? Okay? Isn't the Gospel, or some of you may be wondering, isn't the Gospel for non-believers and not for believers already in a church? Or some of us who are more practical may say this, surely it doesn't mean that our conversations should be all about Jesus Christ. I mean, every conversation, are you sure? This is where I want to tell you a story. Uh, a pastor and author, Jeff Vandelstil, tells a story in his book, Gospel Fluency. And this is his story. Several years ago, a young woman spent the summer with us, okay, with Jeff uh, Vandelberg and his staff team, to fulfill his, her college requirement for internship. At the end of the summer, our leadership team threw her a going away party. And during the party, we provided some space for her to reflect on her time with us. And one of our leaders specifically asked her what was different from what she had expected. She paused for a moment and then said, well, this, this might sound a little strange, but the thing that most surprised me was how much all talked about Jesus. I mean, I know we believe in Jesus, and this, you know, the church ministry is all supposed to be about Jesus, but you guys talk about Him all the time. Every day, every meeting, every situation, you're always talking about Jesus. At first, I thought that you guys were just strange, okay? Then I started to think maybe something was wrong with me, that I didn't really know and love Jesus. You know, the church I came from talks about Jesus here and there, especially when we have Evangelistic Sunday. But most of the teaching is about us. 
about what we should do and what we should do to change and what we need to change, we might hear three key ideas on how to manage our time or five principles for engaging in serving, but we don't hear Jesus preach every week through every Bible text. And certainly, we don't talk about Jesus whenever we get together. To be honest, while I was with you all, I began to wonder if I was even safe. And well, I'm not sure how to say this, but I think I finally came to really know and love Jesus this summer with you. It was just impossible to get away from hearing how great Jesus is with you all. So as a church, we are to proclaim Jesus Christ. Why are we to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's because the gospel brings people to faith. Because telling others of the gospel is the means people come to trust in Jesus Christ. It's because the gospel strengthens our faith. Because the gospel tells us, not only does Jesus save us, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, continues to empower us. It's because the gospel battles our self-righteousness. Because all our salvation is by the grace of God. We have done nothing to deserve it. How, how's that for killing off our self-righteousness? It comforts and encourages the struggling. Because even if we fail, the gospel tells us that our failures does not change the acceptance and love that God has for us. And the gospel brings all glory to God because it tells us our salvation from beginning to end is all of God. Therefore, our conversation should increasingly be seasoned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our talks with one another should not just about be about our lives, our families, our studies, our work, our recreations, like watching movie, guilty here, or golf games. But our talks should be about what Jesus is doing in and through our lives. In the midst of our families, in the midst of our studies, in the midst of our work, in the midst of our recreation. And some of you may, may ask me, Oli, this is fine and good, but how do we do this practically? How do we do this practically? How do we proclaim Christ? This is something that we as a church can learn together, all of us, me included, we can learn together and grow better in. And I have two suggestions. One, share your conversion testimony. So if you meet someone new in church, it will be totally awesome if we can mutually share our conversion testimony with one another. Okay? And I'm going to give you some pointers and tips on what to say. Say something like, Hey, you're a believer, you're new, welcome. So we know that Jesus means a lot to you, right? Jesus also means a lot to me. And then ask, would you like to hear how Jesus changed my life? And then you share a testimony, right? Then afterwards, because you share your testimony, you can also ask them to share their testimony. And you can also do this, because I don't want you to scare all the newcomers to a church because everyone descends on them. You can even do this with someone you know for some time but you have yet to share your testimonies. I guarantee you it'll be awkward the first few times. It's to be expected. But as this gradually becomes commonplace in GBC, this will become part of our culture. 
And I think one of the privileges that elders have is that we have chats with newcomers and, uh, uh, and folks who want to be baptised, and we get to hear their conversion stories, their testimonies. And I, I hope that you guys will also get to hear some of these. My second suggestion is this. I want to encourage us to talk more about Jesus Christ with one another in the church. And one way to do that is to talk about sermons that we hear together on church on Sundays. And let me give you some reflection questions. Because I, I don't want the talk to become more of roast the preacher, you know, sessions and become complaints. And I, I say this tongue-in-cheek because as a Singaporean, I know this is the inherent cultural DNA of Singaporeans. Okay? And, and we want to change this in the church so that we increasingly reflect Christ's DNA. So, so the reflection questions, what is one important thing that you learned today? Followed by, what does that tell us about Jesus? And because we want to apply it, in what ways will you apply what you learned? In fact, I'm going to leave this slide on after the service so that as you linger in the worship hall before you go downstairs to the fellowship hall, you can put this into practice immediately. I urge you to spend five minutes discussing these questions in groups of twos and threes. Again, like I said, initially it'll be awkward because when we do something new, it'll be difficult. But let's, let's try that and see whether we can put into practice speaking Christ and Jesus Christ to one another in this church. So we proclaim Jesus Christ, the word of life. In him, life was revealed to us and eternal life made available. So my non-Christian friends, I'm speaking to friends here who, who have perhaps not trusted in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know this word of life? Do you want to know the joy of a personal relationship with God? Do you want to experience the sweetness of gospel fellowship in the church? And my friends, heeds John's invitation. Hear John's invitation in the Gospel of John. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. My friends, know that God is love. He loves us so much that He gave us His only Son. Acknowledge that you deserve judgment and condemnation because you have spurned God's love and have rejected Him. This is what the Bible calls sin. Agree with the Bible that you have sinned. But know that Jesus Christ came to save the world. For whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Trust that Jesus Christ not only forgives your sin, but will give you eternal life. Trust and receive the life that is in Jesus Christ. This is my uh, urgent plea to you today. If this is your desire today, then after the service, speak to one of your friends, maybe someone brought you to church, or speak to one of your new friends in GBC, or you can speak to one of the pastors and elders as well. And I'm sure all of us We'll be glad to chat with you. In conclusion, John tells us, we proclaim to you concerning the word of life, what was from the beginning, which we have seen, heard, and touched, and the purposes of our proclamation are fellowship and joy.
my friends, because we have fellowship with the word of life, therefore we can have fellowship with each other in the church and can experience joy. Jesus Christ has reversed the curse of the fall through his work on the cross. We now have an antidote for our isolation, a restoration of our fellowship with God when we trust in the gospel, and a recovery of our fellowship with one another rooted in the gospel. Our recovery of joy in the midst of this broken world, we now have recovery of joy in the midst of this broken world that is increasingly lonely. We now have a, can have a personal relationship with God that the gospel brings. And we can bring others into this fellowship and experience this fellowship with others rooted in and based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus Christ because ultimately we aim for joy. John Piper wonderfully writes this. The reason John writes his testimony to Christ in this letter is because he longs for the fullness of joy that comes when others share his delight in the fellowship of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, this fullness of joy for our church is what we are aiming for. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, our word of life, who comes in human flesh. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, turning away your anger against us sinners. God, we thank you for this good news of the gospel. We pray that we may be faithful and often in proclaiming Jesus Christ to one another. We pray that you will root our fellowship in the gospel and deepen our relationship with each other in GBC. We pray that you increase our joy as the wonderful news of the gospel resounds from our church. We pray this for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let us rise as we sing a song of response. I'm not sure about you, but um, there are times when I feel that um, I don't feel very uh, able to love others in church. Uh, and oftentimes, I don't feel lovable myself. But the reminder this morning is that we serve a God who is love because He embodies love uh, through, demonstrated through the relationship between the Son and the Father. And I hope that as a church, as we live that out, that that will be a taste of love that is different from what the world is able to offer as a church, how good it is.
Father, the Son, and the Spirit with whom we have fellowship. He has loved us. He has sent His Son to be our Savior. And this morning as we depart and as we go back to our downstairs to the fellowship hall, let us have fellowship with Him and with one another. And now let us pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks and praise this morning for a wonderful reminder that we have fellowship with You and with one another. We pray that God, our conversations this morning would bring You glory and praise. And now... May the love of God the Father and the grace of Jesus Christ, His only Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated. After a moment of, of quiet meditation, let's have good conversation with one another. <laughs> 